I think an appropriate response to that is just to take a moment to contemplate our Savior and just allow our hearts to refocus, to recenter on Him. One of the things that amazes me about Christmas is that it wasn't just a baby that was born in a manger, but it was the eternal, almighty God that was born there. We're very familiar with this passage in Revelation where John turns around and he says, He saw in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of God, clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in its full strength. That's, that's the Savior. That's the child that was born in a manger. That's our King Jesus. And maybe we can just take a moment and just allow ourselves to, to center again on Him. To picture Him, to contemplate Him, to remember the moments when that Almighty King chose to enter this world as a child. For your sake and for mine.
Amen. Thank you, Bob. Amen. Now, friends, it is wonderful to be with you this morning, and uh, it's really, thank you, Al, and the team for a wonderful time of worship. Merry almost Christmas. We are there tomorrow, and uh, I'm very excited for for spending some time together with you all this morning and uh, for the time that we get to have in the service. And I do trust, Bill, as you've prayed, that God would speak through me by His Spirit and minister His truth to us this morning. And uh, for those of you who weren't with me two weeks ago when I was here, um, I, what, I, what I decided to do over this Christmas period is, is to share two slightly different messages, because often at Christmas we take, we take time to tell you a story about Jesus, and, and this morning I actually want to tell you a story that Jesus told, and I want to retell that story for you, because I think God wants to say something to us through that. And so in the two messages that I've done in this Christmas series, I've, I've picked passages where Jesus has used this phrase, this is the reason why I have come. Um, I've come for this reason. We're going to look at, a, and I've called this morning's message, The Voices of Shepherds and Thieves. And, uh, and we're going to see how they begin to interact together in one of the stories that, that Jesus tells. And Because you know, th- for me, that's, that's, that begins to unpack the heart of what Christmas is. Um, Christmas is, yes, it's about Jesus who came. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He was a baby that was born in a manger. And there's, there's, there's some beautiful things that come out of that, but there's a purpose that he came. And that's what we want to look at this morning. What is the heart of that? And so before I start, just to say, if you are here and you've still got children with you, there is a Sunday school available for them. Uh, you are welcome to take them there if you would like. I also realized I f- neglected to mention exactly what our service plans are going to be like over the next few, few weeks. So uh, just to let you know, tomorrow morning you can come here at 8 o'clock or 9.30, not 10, 8 to 9.30 for our Christmas services. You can join us tonight. Roland and I will be here at 10.30 for the late night evening service. So if you'd like to do that so you can have a, a breakfast or a lunch with your family tomorrow uninterrupted, you're welcome to do that. And then I think for the next two Sundays, we'll still be meeting here at 9 o'clock. Um, so don't come at 8 or 10 and, uh, and you'll be all right. All right, so we're going we're gonna to look today at, at a story that Jesus tells from John chapter 10. Right? And, and so, as I said, normally we, we tell you stories about Jesus at Christmas time. This morning I'm going to tell you one that Jesus told. And he tells it in particular to, to some Pharisees, some, some very religious people of his day, people that were around and who were considered the religious elite uh, when he was around. And, and he, he has this moment where he actually answers for them what I think is really one of the, the big questions that mankind has wrestled with for, for ages and ages, this idea of what, what really is the meaning of life? What is it all about? Why are we here? What do we do this life for? Some of you may remember a book by Douglas Adams called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There's a bit of a cult following to that book, if you, maybe you're one of those people. But, but he said the answer to the meaning of life, the universe, and everything is 42. And there's been a whole lot of theorizing about exactly what he meant, but really he said, actually it was just a joke. He just picked a number that he thought was great, right? But, but Jesus in his conversation with the Pharisees actually begins to answer this question in John chapter 10. He has, you know, a significantly different answer to, to 42, right? So you're welcome to turn with me to John chapter 10, or you can follow along with us on the screen. I'm going to read about the first 15 verses, and, 
And this, this story in John chapter 10 actually happens right after what's happened in John chapter 9. There's not like a day's break or a week's break. It, it's kind of right on the back of that. And in John chapter 9, Jesus has, has found a man that was born blind. And he's healed this guy. And unfortunately for Jesus, he chose to, to do such a wonderful thing on the Sabbath day, which is, you know, really inconsiderate because on the Sabbath, you're not really supposed to do anything, let alone heal someone. And so the Pharisees have got all upset about the fact that Jesus has healed this guy on the Sabbath. And so, so they're having a bit of a big argument and a discussion. And at the end of that, Jesus, we launch into John 10, where Jesus tells them the story to help them understand a little bit about themselves. Right? And so he says this to them. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter, by the sh- enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This is the first story that Jesus shares with the Pharisees after this moment where he's healed this guy. And I, I want to take a moment to say this is, this is actually true. This is not you know, Jesus telling a good story. This is factual shepherding information. Right? You may not know this about sheep, but this is, this is really quite true. And so I found a video of some guys in Norway. It's, just, it's a short little 90-second video um, where they try to put this story to the test. And they actually wanted to see, is this really true? Do sheep only respond to the voice of their shepherd? So, so have a look, and we're going to watch this together, and then we're going we're gonna to carry on. One more time. I just thought that little video is quite cute, it's quite amusing, but it also, it shows us that Jesus wasn't just making something up to make a point. He was actually explaining the way in which the world works, you know. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd and, and they respond to him. So he tells the Pharisees this little story and, and they don't really understand it, right? So John gives us the next verse here in verse 6 where he says this, All right, He says this, he says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them 
but they did not understand what he was saying. Right? So maybe some of you are sitting here with me this morning, you're like, oh, Brad, I don't really know where you're going with this thing. I don't really know why sheep are important to us at this point in time. Well, it's okay that you're not alone in not understanding, right? They're a click. We're going to carry on. Jesus continues to help us maybe understand. It's interesting, though, the, the phrase that we translate, figure of speech, is a, is a, is a word, a noun that actually means proverb or allegory. Right? It means that Jesus is telling a type of story where the characters in the story are representative for something. So that's going to be helpful for us as we get to the meaning behind it. So, but Jesus continues, he expands, so let's follow along in verse 7, and he says this. So Jesus said to them again, because they haven't understood it yet, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. <clears throat> the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. I, however, am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the, the, the expansion, the second half of the story that Jesus tells, and, and I think it's going to be helpful for us just to make sure we, we have a broad concept of what's going on, and then we're going to dig into what's really being said in a moment, right? So we get, we get the first story, and we've got verses 1 to 5. Yeah, see, we get, we're going to go there in a moment, Craig. We're not, we're not quite there yet. Right? I thought that was an interesting picture of a sheep, though. Right. And, and we've got the first story. What you must remember is, is Jesus is speaking into a very agricultural society. Right? Sheep farming is a big part of life in first century Palestine. Uh, a lot of people are very familiar with it. And uh, although it's a little bit removed from us in Cape Town, we're going to have to work with that and understand exactly why he was telling these stories. Right? But in the first story, you've got, you've got sheep, and they're in a fold, which has a gate in the fence. So it's a little bit like what we saw in the video. Right? There's a little pen, and the sheep in the pen. Those of you who have gone on holiday into the countryside have probably seen that. Right? And you've got two different types of people that want to come into the sheep pen. You've got the shepherd, and the shepherd enters through the gate because he owns the sheep. He has the right to come in through the gates. And the guy that's looking after the sheep at night, the gatekeeper, opens the gate for him because he's well-known and he's, he's allowed to be there. Right? But then you've also got some people who are thieves. that Jesus said they can't come through the gate because the guy's not going to open the gate for them. So they sneak in over the wall. They steal the sheep from within the pen. And we also see that they have to take the sheep by force and with violence because the sheep won't follow them. They won't listen to them. So the thieves come in and steal the sheep, and they take them by force. That's the first story Jesus begins to tell. And then he, he develops that somewhat, and he, and he tweaks it a little bit. So it might get a little bit interesting and confusing because he mixes his metaphors as he moves into the second story. But he does it to help illustrate the heart of what he's saying. Right, so now in the second story, Jesus starts, he says, I'm actually now, I'm the gate in the fence around the sheep. Right? Earlier, I was the sh there was a shepherd and a thief. Now, I want you to know I'm the gate that the sheep move in and out of. Right? And as they go through, they're able to find good pasture. And then he jumps back to the imagery from the first story, and we've got the image of the thief again in verse 10, where he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief's intentions with the sheep are very sinister. He doesn't want to take them from this nice paddock over here and take them to a place where the grass is greener and they can have a real lack of munchy time. Right? But the thief's intentions are very sinister. And then Jesus is contrasted to the sheep, 
to the, to the thief, and he says he's come as, uh, as, as a shepherd. In particular, he's come as the good shepherd. Right? And then he gets contrasted with this hired hand, right? this hired shepherd that kind of looks after the sheep, but he doesn't own the sheep. And we find that he actually leaves the sheep whenever danger arrives. And then Jesus finishes the second story by, by connecting, and it's a fictional story, it's a parable, it's an allegory that he tells to illustrate a point. But then he ties it re- right back into reality by showing how the sheep are connected to his very re- real relationship with the Father. He says, I know the sheep and they know me, just as the Father knows me, right? And I, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, as I looked at this text, as a preacher, you could have a lot of fun in this text, Right. Did you know there are, there are seven I am statements in John where Jesus makes statements about who he is. They're very significant. Right? Two of them are in this passage. Right? This is like the Jesus central goldmine. It has incredibly rich Christology in this passage, which means you know, theology about Jesus. Right? But, as, but as, you, as we read it all together, I, I began to realize as I read it, as much as it is about Jesus, it's also it's about the sheep as well. The sheep are actually the central characters in the story. They are the ones with whom all the other characters are interacting. And so we're going to take a story that's about sheep, shepherds, and thieves, and we're going to try and make some sense of it in a 21st century urban setting. All right, we're, going to, we're going to do that together. We're, we're pretty much none of us, I'm sure, farm on a daily basis. Does anyone farm on a daily basis? All right, that, I would, it would have been great if you did. I would have come and chat to you. We could talk about sheep farming. But most of us don't farm. But there's a, there's a story in this. There's a reason Jesus tells us that we need to catch and, and learn from. Right? And, and I think one of the keys to understanding the story is to understand who the characters are, what they represent, and what their purpose is. As you remember that story, it's, a, it's, a, it's an allegory. It's a metaphorical reference. So let's go, Craig. You can put the slide up now with the four different characters that are important in this story. Right? And the first one, this, this is real easy. The first two are real easy. Right? Who are the sheep in the story? We're, we're the sheep, right? Good job, everyone. You're doing well. One out of one. This is a great pop quiz so far, right? Unfortunately, being a sheep is not the most flattering of associations anyone could ever make of you, right? There are, there are some things that, you know, people have said about sheep that some of them are true, maybe not true. I did some reading on sheep. I found a Sheep 101 website. It was very interesting. You know, five easy steps to sheep farming. I learned some things about sheep. But I want, I want to share those with you. I want to, some of the things we find about the sheep in the passage, are this, we, we see the sheep know who their shepherd is. Right? They have a very close relationship with their shepherd. We, we see that the sheep rely on the shepherd to find good pasture. When they don't have a shepherd, they, they probably just eat the same ground, and then it runs out of sustenance and they get sad. Right? It's deep, Ella, I promise. Right? And the sheep are also really vulnerable without the shepherd to protect them. Those of you who have been in church for a while, you remember the story of David. That's maybe the best um, story we have of like the warrior shepherd who protects the sheep from wolves and bears, right? But the sheep rely on someone else to protect them because they're just sheep. I was reading on the Sheep 101 website, the sheep's protective measure. Now, all animals have defense mechanisms against predators. If you've ever been to like a, a wildlife reserve and you've had the privilege of going on a game drive, you get these intelligent people that know all the things about wild animals. And each animal has got like a defense mechanism that it uses. So, you know, some of them have tails that they lift up and then all the predators can see is white and then it confuses them because they only see in black and white. So some of them have little scent glands that emits um, a particular pheromone out of, their, out of their legs, and then they all run away into totally different places, and then within 10 minutes, they're able to all come back to the same place because they can follow their own scent. It's really interesting, 
Right? All animals have a very particular defense mechanism against prey. Sheep's defense mechanism is to huddle together in a group. Right? It's not a real good defense mechanism. <laughs> Someone's going to go. Right? It's a, sheep need a shepherd to protect them. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. He said, He was going throughout all the cities and villages, and he was teaching in their synagogues, and he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and every affliction. This is quite a normal description of Jesus' ministry, right? And it says this, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, I was thinking about this description of us as being harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And, and there was, a, there was a, an experience that came to mind, something that had happened to me a number of years ago. I was working in a company, and there was another guy who was working there with me. And, and one day he came into my office, and he, and he said, Brad, the most amazing thing has happened. And I've met this guy online, and he wants to give me like this huge amount of money, and I'm so excited. And I was inherently skeptical. Like, this definitely sounds like a scam. So he's like, no, that's no, really great. And so he brings, he's printed out the like, lists of conversations that he's had with, and he brings them to me, and I start to read it. And about 10 seconds in, I pick it up and I throw it in the bin. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, mate, this, this is absolutely a scam. And he's like, no, but you don't understand this guy knew this about me, and he's, he's got all this money in this country, and he just can't get it out, and he just needs me to, to send him a down payment so he can open up a thing. And I... Mate, this is a textbook Nigerian scam. For those of you that have been around, eventually I had to show him on Snopes.com the exact emails that he had received had been there for like 10 years, and people had been deceiving people for 10 years with a scam. But as I looked at him, I realized what it's like to be, like a, you know, be harassed and helpless and just, just to have no idea that you're currently a victim, that you're totally vulnerable, and that you know, all of your life savings... I've, I've been deceived by other scams, um, they made a very pretty picture of the SARS website, which I thought was real. I didn't investigate it as well as I should have, but I, I worked it out soon after that. But maybe some of you have had similar experiences. Hopefully not. Maybe you're better than me, right? But when, when God looks at us, when Jesus looks at us, he sees a group of people that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And they need a shepherd to guide them, to lead us, to protect us. Right? So we're, we're the sheep in this passage, and, and there's something incredibly important that we need to catch if we are the sheep. And it's something you might, you might miss if you didn't catch the significance of, of what the story is really about, and it's this. Right? If the story centers around the interactions of different characters with the sheep, then we need to understand there is a corresponding spiritual reality to, to this fictional story that Jesus is telling. And it's this, that there are different spiritual beings that are currently in contention for your affection. Because right? we're the sheep. And there are other characters, and they're, they're fighting for the sheep. Right? And they have profoundly different intentions towards us. That's, that's the key idea in the story. It's one of the main reasons Jesus tells the story in the first place, that we would catch hold of this idea, that, we, that there are different spiritual beings that are contending for your affections, for your heart. And they have very different intentions towards you. And it's in light of this reality that the rest of the story actually begins to make sense. In fact, Jesus told the story to illustrate to the Pharisees of his day that their affections had been attached to the wrong chief shepherd. And they had, in fact, become bad under-shepherds of God's flock. 
And if you want, you want to read a prophecy that's written about them, you can go to Ezekiel 34, and you, you see how God spoke this over the leaders of Israel years, years in the past, hundreds of years in the past. But as we read it today, there's an opportunity for us to learn from their mistakes, and we can see what life is really about. So, so if that's the case, so we're the sheep. All right, Craig, you can, you can hit the next button there. It'll come up there, right? That's us. We are the sheep. Right? Who are the other characters in the story, and how do they relate to us? Right, so the next one's real easy, right? Who's the shepherd? Jesus is the shepherd, right? It's a great Baptist answer. Jesus is always the answer, right? It's very easy because he tells us, I am the good shepherd. He says it twice in case you missed it. So Jesus is the shepherd. And then, then the interesting question is this. Who's the thief and the hired hand? So Craig, you can hit the next one. We'll get a label for Jesus there. That'll be great. Go for Craig. Yes, okay. Right? And, I, and I, I operated, as I was studying this passage, I operated under the assumption that the thief was the enemy, that he was Satan. And I don't think that's a bad assumption. But I think if we jump straight there, we actually miss the nature of the story that Jesus is telling and why he's telling it. See, Satan may be the ultimate thief. And he, and he may be the, the chief bad shepherd, if you will. But, but the thief here in the story and the hireling, they're one and the same person. Right? They're the failed leaders of Israel. They're the people that, who's... who's they're the people for whom Jesus is actually telling the story. He's telling them the story so that they would see in themselves that they have been like bad shepherds and thieves. It's a little bit like Nathan who tells David this really you know, awkward story. And David's like, that's terrible. And Nathan's like, that's you. And he's like, oh my gosh. That's what Jesus is trying to do with the Pharisees here. And so for us, because we no longer have the leaders of Israel, right? we're no longer under the leaders of Israel, for us... I think the thief and the hired hand in this story are those people and those things, those leaders, those, those objects of our affection that vie for our attention and our devotion and that call for our time, that call for our hearts and that call for us to follow them. And they're those things that, that we give our hearts that they offer the pretense of safety and of security. But in reality, they don't, they don't deliver on those promises. Right, so I've called them imposters. If you could put that up for us, Craig, that'd be great. Right. So Jesus sets up a contrast in this story, and this is really the heart of what we need to catch. Right, he sets up a contrast between these two different characters. Right, you've got the good shepherd, you've got the thief and the hired hands. We go back, there we go. Right, I apologize for the information on the table, but it just summarizes what Jesus has said in the story. And we're going to look at the thief and the hired hands first. Right. And Jesus says this, he says, the thief is is like someone who sneaks in illegally. They have no right to be there. They have no right to be there. He's described as both a thief and a robber, which I, which I thought was quite interesting. I learned something as I was saying this, not just about sheep. Do you know the difference between a thief and a robber? A thief is someone who takes something by stealth and by guile, whereas a robber is someone who takes something, still that doesn't belong to him, but he does it by force and with violence. Now, interestingly, the two men that were crucified on either side of Jesus were robbers, not thieves. Or violent men, right? But, but Jesus speaking about, about these people and things that vie for our affection. He says they are, they are thieves and robbers. They come into your life. They're not supposed to be there. And they begin to steal from you that which God has intended for you. Right? Their intention, we see in verse 10, is to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. The goal is always to harm the sheep. It's, it's self-serving and vindictive. It never has the well-being of the sheep in mind. 
We see the hired hand. He says he abandons the sheep in time of danger because the hired hand is all about himself. Right? It's, it's not about the sheep. And so when danger comes, when hardship comes, the hired hand leaves. The sheep are scattered, confused, or dead, and slaughtered by the wolves as a result. And the reason for that, we find out later in the verse, is because the hired hand never really cared for the sheep. Those people and things that, that vie for our attention, that long for us to follow them, that long for us to give our devotion to them, never really care about us. They actually just want our time and money because it's self-serving for them. All of these things are the things that characterize the way in which the world fights for our love and attention. They're all the things that would seek to lead us but are not Jesus himself. And the thing is, they always disguise themselves really well. It always looks good on the outside, and the initial payoff is always nice. But it's the road that it leads to that goes towards destruction. And then Jesus says, this, this, is, the one, this is the one group of people and things that are, that are going to fight for you. I want you to know there's someone else. Right? There is someone else. There is the good shepherd. And I also fight for your attention and for your hearts. I want you to know that, that I know each of you by name. It says he calls out his sheep by name. He knows each and every one of us so deeply and personally. And as you sit here this morning, you need to know Jesus knows your heart. He knows exactly who you are. He's created you just as you are. He knows everything about you. He knows where you're great and he knows where you fall down. And yet he still desires to look after you. He still desires to care for you and to love you says in verse 4 that he leads them and goes before them. Jesus is not the shepherd who sits at the back of his flock and sends his border collies out and hounds the flock and tells them to go that way and beats a whip and scares them into movements. Right? But a Middle Eastern style of shepherding is different. You would go ahead of the flock and you would call them and they would follow and you would lead them out and you would protect them as you went ahead of them. That's what God does for us. That's what Jesus does for us. It says in verse 9, when he talks about himself as being the gate, he says, I am the gate who saves the sheep. Whoever comes through me will be saved. He will enter into the kingdom of God, this spiritual reality that exists everywhere we go, where we get to be counted as children of the, of the king, right? where we get to experience life with him and eternal life. <clears throat> Jesus continues in verse 9, he says, I'm going to lead you into good pasture, See, once, you, once you've come into the fold and been saved, then I'll lead you out and I'll take you to the place where you find all the sustenance and life that you need. Psalm 23 speaks about how Jesus, as the shepherd, leads us beside still waters to rest and restore our souls. Right? He guides us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus guides us in our lives to find the things that we need. He provides for us and he undertakes for us for all our provision and care. Two years as the shepherd. And then, and then we kind of get the climax of that where he says in verse 11, and I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I think he speaks in two senses here. I think he speaks protectively of the sheep. I think Jesus speaks and he says, I, I fight for you. I defend you. Paul writes in, in Ephesians and he speaks about the spiritual battle that we're a part of. Where the enemy comes to destroy us. And he seeks to fire flaming arrows into us. And Jesus fights for us. He contends for us in the, spiritual, in the spiritual battles that are a part of our life. But he also speaks prophetically about how he laid down his life for the sheep on the cross. For us on the cross. And he gave up his own life for ours. So that we would live. And, and this whole story, 
all of these things that are part of who the good shepherd is, they are are what Jesus is speaking about when he says, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. That's the abundant life I'm talking about, that, that you would know me personally and intimately, that I would be able to lead you out and protect you, that I would lead you to good pasture, I would be able to provide for you and sustain you in all the things that you need, that I would lay down my life to protect you and to love you. And so Jesus asks, who are you going to follow? Which shepherd are you going to follow? Are you going to, be, are you going to allow yourself to be stolen by the thief, or are you going to follow the good shepherd? This, Jesus says, is why I have come, that you may have life and have it in abundance. I have come so that you may no longer be enslaved to the things that do not give you what they promise. To money and to success and to religion and to philosophy and to achievement and to popularity. All of these things that promise you the world but never actually give you what you need. I've come that you may no longer experience destruction at the hands of him who is the father of destruction. But I've come that you may have life and life in abundance. That's what I call Christmas, friends. Hey? That's why we celebrate. That's why we get together and honor Jesus as our king. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to thank you this morning because you are a great and wonderful God. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the good shepherd, that you go before us, that you protect us, that you lead us into good pasture, that you care for us, God, and that you lay down your life so that we would live. We thank you, God, that we are, we are the gate, that, as, that you are the gate, that as we come to you, we will find life and eternal life with you and safety and security in your pastures. We bless you for that, God. We thank you that even though there are so many things that would fight to see us follow them, to lead us ultimately into destruction, you have come that we may have life and life in abundance. We thank you, God, that that life starts now, that we get to live with you and know you now because of Christmas. Because you came so that we could walk into life with you that starts now and lasts for eternity. We bless you for that, God. We honor you. We lift you up as our God and King. And there's just, there's a moment, there's an opportunity that's here for you. Perhaps you have never followed Jesus before. And, And as we've been together this morning, maybe God has just dropped into your heart and helped you to to recognize that you've been following some other things and some other people. Some other things have been calling after your heart and you've been giving your devotion. You've been striving endlessly towards reaching and attaining a goal that never seems to fulfill you whenever you get there. There's an opportunity for you this morning to turn your heart towards the good shepherd and say, Jesus, I want to come into your flock and I want to come under your care. And I want to follow you as you call me. You just need to say that to him in your heart this morning. You just need to turn towards him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want you to be my king and my shepherd. I want you to forgive me from all of my brokenness and my sin. And I want to follow you into life and life in abundance. And if you just say that in your heart to him this morning, he will come in. And he will lead you into the abundance of life that he has for you. And we, we pray, Father, 
that if there is anyone here who has who's just given over their heart to you this morning, Lord, we pray now that you would fill them with your Spirit. You would pour out the love and grace of God over their lives. And that you would lead them, God, into the abundance of life that you have for them. We ask these wonderful things in our mighty and powerful and glorious Savior's name. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for being with us this morning. Our, our services come to an end. You're welcome to remain behind if you'd like to speak to anyone, to pray with anyone. You're welcome to do that. I want to encourage you as you go, if you do have something you want to give to the car guards, just go past Roland and put something in the jar. It'd be lovely. We do have tea and coffee available. Please join us uh, and spend some time together with us. And look forward to seeing you for Christmas tomorrow. <laughs>